My name's Josh, by the way, if I didn't get there. And, uh, I did tell you that my name's not Graham if I don't know you, which was maybe a little useful. But uh, my name's Josh, and, and uh, it's always good to be together. But uh, if you're a visitor, it's really, really great to have you, and I hope we get a chance to, to say good day and maybe have a cup of tea with you. So uh, we are. We're talking about the river this year at Cornerstone. And um, we sort of introduced the topic two weeks ago. Graham was going to continue to carry it last week, <clears throat> but then some stuff uh, came up with um, just a whole heap of stuff around mission, actually, in the life of the church. And, and Graham did a little detour, I think he described it as. But I'm ringing that detour back in. Uh, so you'll hear some reference to where we've been the last two weeks. And um, I, I've been blessed as I've thought about Graham's sermon last week. Uh, and I think it's a really, it brings a useful emphasis to where we're going. In looking at this picture of the river that we see through scripture. And um, I'm not clicking there for some reason, Brady. If you could flick to the next slide for me. Um, and we talked about how it's there right at the beginning in Genesis 2. There's this river that flows through the Garden of Eden and waters it. And then there's this weird thing where uh, it waters as sort of forms the headwaters of these four major rivers in the world. And, and I really see that as a picture of the fact that there is a source of life behind our sources of life. So we can get very focused in the natural and we can see natural rivers um, as a symbol of the source of life. But who knows that the rivers are there because of the creator who put the rivers there. And so the river in Eden, I suggested two weeks ago, is like a picture of the presence of God, a picture of God as the source of life, the source of all that is good. We see again, and you can see this passage on the screen here, that at the culmination of Scripture in John's Revelation where he foresees how God is going to kind of wrap the story up, we see the river again. The prophets have referenced it through the Old Testament. The wisdom literature and the Psalms references the river. And John sort of sees the river in the holy city of Jerusalem in the new earth. So it's a new Jerusalem and a new earth as God has brought justice and reconciliation to creation. And there's this uh, section of chapter 21 of Revelation uh, and you're probably familiar with it if you've been here at all. Um, for the last couple of years, I did not see a temple in the city John says, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. And then he says, the glory and the honour of nations will be brought to it. He says, um, Nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour to it. So there's this king kind of kingdom language there. And the picture that John paints for us is that in the New Jerusalem reigns the king of kings, right? The king to which all other kings 
recognise they need to give tribute. The king to which all other kings recognise that their rule, their reign, their kingdom is inferior somehow. And we've sung about it this morning already that much of the language of the New Testament when it comes to Jesus, we can call him many things, but it often refers to Jesus as a king. A couple of, actually, um, Alan, the reason that's not working is batteries. There wouldn't be spares, would there? If not, I'll just get ready to... Thank you. Um, Last year, I, I basically just over booked myself um, all round and, and God's uh, helped me to sort that out a bit this year, which is a good feeling um, to have a bit more margin in my life. Uh, and it got to a stage where I'm sure many of you know this place, but it got to a stage where when you lose your margin, you, there's like a growing inefficiency, right? Because you're kind of on the fly all the time and you can't plan your week out. And then things pop up and you're adding them on top of whatever else you're doing. And I was in pe- probably as much as I've ever been in that place, I was in that place last year. And part of my routine at the time was I had um, a class I was teaching on the south side of the city. And then I had a committee meeting uh, on a Wednesday evening and actually overlapped. So I was getting my students to get there a bit early so I could leave a bit early, drive across the city, be slightly late to this committee meeting uh, that I had to go to. And that was every week. And I don't know if you are aware of the speed camera that is just on the other side of the Gateway Bridge, but that thing is from Satan. Thank you. no, I'm going to repent of that as we, as we go along. But anyway, I got caught, right, one night. I was actually returning Chris Magnuson's Weber uh, and at like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah, it's Chris's fault. He's in Adelaide preaching uh, this weekend, so I can definitely pin everything on him. And, um, oh, it annoyed me because it's a big one, right? It's not a moving one. It's just fixed. It's there all the time. There's a big sign that says you're about to go through a speeding camera. And I went through it too fast. Uh, And so, you know, that's always annoying. But then what happened is I went through it again. And uh, like within a matter of weeks, and I was, I was, I mean, mostly down on myself, but geez, I love transferring responsibility (laughs) in an instance like that. So I was kind of cross. and, and so I was sure that every time I was driving back from the south side across the Gateway Bridge, it's not the Gateway, the story. Did I say the story? The story bridge. Um, I'd go, that camera's coming up. I'm checking my speed, right? But I got done a third time. And my brain's just going to conspiracy theories, right? <laughs> Wasn't helped by Caro Vaderman, who told me that her sister gets done there all the time. And, and she was saying... If you've got a conspiracy theory about it, it might be true. So, <laughs> so I started putting my tin foil hat on when I crossed the... That didn't make a difference. Anyway, three speeding fines in a matter of weeks. Um, and it was such a hectic uh, sort of season. Sharon and I got married in June, but we didn't get to have our anniversary dinner last year till August sometime. We finally lined it up and we drove across... The river to an Italian restaurant over there. Had a nice evening. I had a single glass of wine with um, my nice Italian food because it's an amazing Italian wine list. This place where we went, 
We're coming back across. I go very slow across the gateway, I tell you. Uh, I was probably annoying, probably causing other sorts of problems. The story bridge. Sorry, the story bridge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as if I think about all my shortcomings, the gateway bridge gives me a, a lot longer of a time to, to do that, to think of who I can blame. Um, anyway, we seemed like we were home free. We're going up Webster Road here, just past the Stafford Tavern, and I stopped at the intersection there where the tavern is, and some, a police car comes in the other direction, and it stops. And I don't know why, but I just thought, they've clocked me. That, that I've just got this feeling. I've got this feeling, but one glass of wine, going under the speed limit, you know, my, my, every, everything, I was kind of confident, almost cocky. So we keep going, turn left onto Stafford Road, and they light me up. And um, I'm all good with it. And I, I thought, these guys are wasting their time. I'm going to be super courteous. There's a weird little easement between the McDonald's and a residential thing. I'm going to pull in there like a local and have a good chat to them. Anyway, I'm waiting for the copper to come out of his car and I wind the window down. He says, Josh Newington. Now, that is not... That's not what you want to hear. You don't want to hear that they know your name before they get to the car, because that means they've been on the computer, right? Still, I'm like, yeah, it's weird, but I, I'm sitting pretty. And uh, he says, can I have a look at your licence, please? I said, sure. And I, as I was reaching to get it, he says, it's expired, mate. And I said, I beg your pardon? He said, it's expired, I'm bringing it over. And then I remember, in the craziness of that season, the letter, right? Like. I just put it down somewhere to renew my licence and, and I was like a month and a day over. I'd been driving for a month and a day without a licence and, and I think he saw the genuineness of the fact that I just didn't even realise. So he was trying to kind of wind back, like, do we have to process this? And he's gone back to the car, he's like, I'm sorry, we've, we've started it now. And there's apparently a grace period for a couple of weeks. He said, have you moved house? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> so that was a $200 fine right there on top of these three other speeding fines. And um, oh, it didn't completely ruin the evening, but you know, it wasn't a great way to end. Anyway, the next morning, we had a bit of a late night being out for dinner. The next morning, we jump in the car. Sherilyn's uh, driving. She's got to pick one of Iggy's friends up to take him to school. I'm in the passenger seat because she's going to drop me off. And we come out of a back street to sort of weave past Taralba Park up towards Iggy's school there. And a cop coming the other way lights her up. And I'm thinking, this, this is a conspiracy. I'm calling Caro Vaderman. What's going on, Carolyn? Can you see in the other realm? And, um, and, and the cop says, you didn't stop sufficiently to Sharon. So would you believe it's $200 to drive without a licence? It's $400 uh, for not stopping. And in that moment, I mean, our brains are kind of going, can we even pay <laughs> all of these things in the coming weeks? Uh, and... Sharon uh, has a bit more sort of fire and passion than me. As he goes back to the motorbike to kind of punch the details in, she's like, I'm going to... I'm going to go him, basically. <laughs> so she gets out of the car, and I'm like, 
that's not a good thing to do, but I think I need to do that too to stop her from potentially getting in trouble with the policeman. So I get out as well. And, uh, you know, I could see the cops like, what's going to go on here? And um, he was like not apologetic at all. He was traffic cop, you know. They love it, don't they? They just love handing those things out. And uh, so we managed to get through that little incident without Cheryl and assaulting an officer. <laughs> we, get, we get back in the car and she's steaming. Oh, I kind of love it and it's also scary. <laughs> and and um, she's steaming. And I said, because it feels like, it felt, honestly, it felt like the universe was against us or something was against us. It was like, are you kidding? Here's a little insight into like, how human I am. The place that I have to stop myself going is like, that meeting I was on my way to, speeding, I was a volunteer there, it was a community thing, and like, I'm always on the clock for God. How can you give me a ticket, you horrible pagan, even if I don't know? What are you doing with your money, uh, your time? Anyway, I said to Cheryl, and it's going to take more than this, right, to, to sour our spirits. Even if it is a conspiracy against us, this kind of thing doesn't stop us from being the people that God calls us to be. People of joy, hope, peace, right? Faith that those, the money for those bills is going to come from somewhere. And we kind of, we calmed down, we prayed about it. Uh, we spoke against uh, the demon of traffic violation. <laughs> and, um, and we got there. That day... We got there. I think, I think we managed to do the rest of what we needed to do with a sweet spirit. Sweetish. But then there's a stage after that where I was like, geez, that hurt. But am I glad that there's speed cameras? I'm, I'm maybe a little bit glad. <laughs> <laughs> when I don't have a bill to pay, I may be a bit glad that there's speed cameras. You know, I mean, there's, be, there's been some horrific traffic incidents, haven't there, that just... Uh, they remind you of how wrong things can go. And so maybe I'm actually glad that there's speed cameras. Maybe I'm glad that there's not a bunch of people sort of driving over the Story Bridge at speed without a licence. Maybe I'm actually even glad for stop signs. It sort of hurts to come in contact <laughs> under the wrong circumstances with the rule of the land, with traffic rules, right? But I realise I have to sort of decide in my spirit, in my mind, are these a good thing overall? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I can't even think what I would really petition to change uh, you know, if I wanted to go through the right sort of channels and, and say, we should change this. I can't even really think what I would change. So the alternative is just to become bitter and to treat every police officer that I have um, an interaction with in the future, you know, with a bad attitude and um, to sort of try and push the law wherever I can. And there's no... There's no fruit in that, I would imagine. Graham talked last week about the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God. And 
Matthew uh, 4.17, John the Baptist talks about the kingdom of God first and then Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. It said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And we sometimes say that this is a declaration of the gospel, a declaration of the good news. Graham told this story about uh, he, him sort of trying to declare the good news in his late um, teen years where he basically stalked a couple of girls singing a worship song to them and he used it as an illustration of like evangelism gone wrong basically. He had some fervour, some passion, he wanted to kind of connect with these girls who had been kind of making fun of the Christians who were in a group and so he decided to follow these women uh, for an hour <laughs> singing singing a worship song or several behind them. And the reason why it didn't work uh, is because... I mean, there's many reasons. Is that what you're going to say? Like, the context that Graham's experienced those songs in that has actually, like, made them meaningful and connected him somehow to God is lost on those (laughs) women who are being followed (laughs) through the streets of Toowoomba at night by a man singing them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but actually, I think you'll find if you go through your workplace or around your school or wherever it is you spend your week, saying to people who you believe needs Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, you might get similar results, actually. I'd say upwards of 99% of the time, people are going to go, go away, basically. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to me. What are you doing? Because it lacks context. So at once we could say that Jesus is declaring the kingdom of God when he's saying something like this. Not in a way that's maybe that useful, just taking that single declaration. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so we found ways as Christians to kind of give that idea, that declaration, context. And generally we tell a kind of story because human beings are very, we make sense of our life and the world through stories. Um, why are you afraid of spiders? I'll tell you a story about this interaction I had with a spider, this event with a spider. Who are you? You'll tell the story of where you were born and who your parents are and that sort of thing. And a really common story for this declaration of the kingdom of God the gospel or salvation story, I'm going to call it, is there's creation, fall, redemption, consummation. I'm going to have to fly through this just for time, but you basically know it, I think, if you've had any contact with the church creation. God created the heavens and the earth. They were good. He created uh, humans, male and female, in his image. They were very good. Fall. So that's Genesis 1, 2, 3. Genesis 3, humans, male and female, sinned, and so they fell from Eden, leading to a cursed world. Sin, death, suffering enter the world. Redemption. God makes a covenant with Abram and then Israel. Israel fails fails to be faithful to the covenant and so is sent into exile. Jesus came, died on the cross, was resurrected, and so provided grace by which we fallen humans may be redeemed. 
this establishes, so I'm using uh, the language of a guy called Scott McKnight here, this establishes the beachhead for the kingdom. It's here, but not fully here. We can look forward to the complete victory of Jesus coming as a kind of consummation when Jesus will return and establish the kingdom in its fullness and all the redeemed will join Jesus in the completed full kingdom. Sounds something like the story to you guys. Definitely sounds like the story to me. And this is sometimes called the CFRC <laughs> approach to the story if you need a little anagram to hang the different uh, chapters of it on. Um, one of the things that's been noticed about this story is there can be uh, a tendency to rely on scripture to establish those first two points, creation and fall. And that'll take you up to Genesis 3 there. I'm going to suggest and work with the idea that this is a correct but incomplete summary of the gospel salvation story. So go with me here. Genesis 1 to 3 gets us to fall. Um, and then what we can do is we can skip all the way through the Bible to somewhere like Romans 3, which is right here at the end of the Bible. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So at the beginning I was for CNF in the very first few pages and by the time of redemption I'm getting towards the end there. Now I don't know if you notice anything about what the Bible looks like when I hold that up. But there's a bit of ground gets skipped there between Genesis 3 and Romans 3. And people have grappled with this and they've said, well, what's going on actually there? What's the use of all, those, all that stuff in between, for one thing? The story of Israel, the story of the church. It, it sort of actually occurs to those who have grappled with this way of telling the story, that it's quite individualistically sort of oriented and focused. And it leaves a big gap. What is the majority of scripture for? If you think about it in terms of your personal life, it makes a lot of sense. So the world's basically good, I guess, but there's also things that we see that are really wrong. I'm wrong. You know, what I, the wrongness that I see in the world, I also experience in my own life. I'm kind of broken. I do the wrong things all the time. I contribute to the suffering and pain. So that's got me to CF. Redemption. Jesus offers me salvation, offers to forgive my sins, right? And one day, I'm going to get to go to heaven, it all makes sense, except that, again, like, what the heck goes on now? <laughs> so my mission then, and this is the mission that Graham kind of deconstructed last week, 
I've received this good news that Jesus will forgive my sins. I'm going to go to heaven one day. My mission then is about telling other people, hey, there's good news. You can go to heaven one day. The most important thing, according to this story, that you can do with your life is make sure that other people go to heaven one day. That's really tough if you're an architect, (laughs) Uh, walking through the architect's office, sort of telling that story. Uh, is a tough gig. It's really tough if you're a stay-at-home mum. Well, maybe as an architect you can earn some money to pay an evangelist who gets to do it on your behalf. It's a really diminished (laughs) picture of the good news because what the heck is your life for? I want to suggest that as correct as this model is, it's incomplete. Your life is for a reason. You've got something really important to do right now, whether it's at home, in the kitchen, or in the office, or wherever you are. So I've got... Romans have been through that. A friend of mine this week, we're blessed to have uh, Christian friends kind of across the theological and uh, political perspective posted this. I like it because it's sort of, I think, parodying a sort of fundamentalist Bible Belt homey thing where you could see this as an across stitch on the wall as you uh, come into a Christian home. But it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and systematically decimate capitalism, racism and the cis-heteropatriarchy. <laughs> and uh, this friend is probably a little further to the left than, than I am. But when I saw this, I kind of thought, because I know the life of this woman and, and she's really politically active and her, she's not like other folks, right? She takes this stuff seriously enough that when you meet her, you go, whoa. you're different. And she's different whether or not we would agree with her theology wherever we're at. She's different because of Jesus. That's the story that she tells. For her, this stuff matters. Uh, Systematically decimating the patriarchy matters um, because of what she thinks Jesus came to do. Her life has a content because of her belief. That's a bit different. And the main point that I want to get to this morning, as I'm running out of time, is the kingdom has content, right? If we are saying that Jesus is king, we are heralding the kingdom of God. We're subjects of a kingdom. Kingdoms have rules, right? Kingdoms have an authority structure. Kingdoms make a power claim. And just coming across this little poster on my friend's site made me think, well, do, do I believe that? Do I live as the subject of the kingdom of God? Do people look at me like I look at my friend and say, he's not like other folks, <laughs> So this is something going on in his life that is shaping his priorities differently. Something going on in his life that would suggest that he is beholden to a different set of values, a different authority. Quickly going to whiz through this part. Some sociologists uh, maybe 10 years ago did a really uh, expansive um, 
sort of bit of research into the beliefs of American Christian teenagers. And they arrived at the conclusion that actually most American Christian teenagers weren't Christians technically. Their religion was this thing called moralistic therapeutic deism. And some of you might be familiar with this. So here's the, the things that young people who were Christians, identified as Christians in the States, overwhelmingly believed. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most other world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when there's a problem. We pray to God, hey, I'm sick, heal me, or I need more money, help me. And good people go to heaven when they die. What you might notice about moralistic therapeutic deism that's different to Christianity, that is not a kingdom religion. There's no real bearing on how we should live. And in fact, maybe this is um, attested to by the kind of Christianity that many American teenagers and, and researchers have said, actually, this isn't just a problem for teenagers, maybe not just a problem for Americans, that many Christians are living out. It's kind of like a hollow faith. It's like, yes, I'm a Christian. God is like an ATM in the sky for me. Hopefully he gives me what I need. He doesn't really have much bearing on the minute details of my life, what it is I do. It doesn't shape me to the extent that people go, wow, he's different. She's different from other folks. What's going on there? Could I get the band up, please? I want to try and wrap this up as much on time as I can. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the German pastor who stood up to the Nazis and was martyred for it, talked about cheap grace, that we can want the benefits of Christianity, going to heaven, really, but we want to be able to do what we want, essentially. Made me think yesterday of um, this young woman. I don't know if any of you know who she is, Sophie Scholl was the um, anniversary of her execution by the Nazis in 1943. She um, was part of it, like all Germans were, good Lutherans. Her family was even involved, her brother with the Hitler Youth. She was part of the Young Women of Germany sort of national thing, whatever they called it. And um, she's a really bright young woman. And uh, she nearly didn't finish high school because it just got so much about Nazi indoctrination. She was really interested in theology, philosophy, science. She nearly flunked out because it started to grate on her. She realised that the kingdom that she was living in was not a kingdom that she wanted to be a part of. She didn't stand completely alone. She stood alone enough that she was beheaded. For taking some pamphlets to the university she ended up attending that said, hey, we need to wake up to the fact that something very un-Lutheran, very un-Christian is happening in our country right now. God forbid that 
we should have to pay such a great price for choosing another kingdom. But the kingdom is a rule and a reign. There is a king who would claim your life. I don't think Jesus was about issuing spiritual speeding tickets and we're definitely not about that here. But where I want to land for us, because we're going somewhere else across the course of the year, is that the call to the river, the invitation to the river, the fullness of life that God desires for us to share with Him doesn't come without cost. And so we're taking a risk this year, in a sense, because we want to give you opportunities to ask the question, is my life a kingdom life? Am I living out the claim of the king on my life? Or am I being swept along by a different body of water, by cheap grace, by a kind of hollow gospel? It doesn't really require anything of you but promises you eternal reward. Would you stand? We're going to sing. There's the Brisbane River. All I'm saying is maybe even this morning, but in the year ahead. It might feel like we're asking you to put something on, to pick up a weight. And um, it wouldn't be our spirit here at Cornerstone to be prescriptive about the kind of life you need to live, what, what, what in particular you need to give up or what you need to take up. But we just want to be real about the fact Jesus is King and the invitation to live the fullness of life to live in the river that is God's blessing and God's presence is an invitation to be a subject of a kingdom as Jesus says here I don't know if you can read it but you'll know the verse in Matthew 11 28 to 30 come to me all you who are weary and burdened I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Charlie and the band are going to lead us um, in a moment here. It's after 11, so you could give me a spiritual speeding fine if you wanted to. 
want you just to take a moment. That's the upper reaches of the Brisbane River there. Pick something local. And think about the river of life that God calls you to. Fullness of life. Living in His presence. Living with the power of His Spirit manifest upon your life. And all I want you to do before you go, you can choose how long this takes you. Before you go to get a coffee or get on with your day, whatever you need to do, is just open yourself to that possibility. I've never been good at old calls and I'm not going to do one now. They were kind of ruined for me as a kid. But I was thinking about them this week. Do you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour? It's not just about the Saviour bit. It's about the Lord bit. So no matter how long you've been a Christian, that question, do you accept Jesus as your Lord, that's a question you want to be asking. That's a question I'm asking you to think about, even just for a moment. Do you accept Jesus as your Lord? Stay for as long as you want. I'm sure some people worship. If you want to get on your knees, get on your knees. If you want to sit down, you don't have to stand up. (laughs) Take a moment in that question. Hey, bless you. Have a good week.